from WNUR News, I'm Pasbaum. You're listening to the 6 o'clock news on WNUR 89.3 FM HD1, Evanston, Chicago. It's Friday, April 22, 2022. Tonight on WNUR News, NU's club crew team wins big, thoughts on Rosalia's new album Motomami, and Bob's trivia. These stories coming up tonight on WNUR News at 6. Thanks for tuning in. Click, catch, exhale, send. Click, recover, inhale. This succession of sounds is the rhythm of rowing. It's conducted by members of Northwestern crew team as the sun rises just about every day on the Skokie Channel. The club team's hard work paid off last weekend when it won the Illinois State Championship. Reporter and rower Angelina Campanile has the story. My heart's pounding. We were like, okay, this is our race. Everything we got, let's go. My stroke seat, Olivia will tell me if the flag's coming up or not. Trying to get my point as best as I can. Hubbard, give me a stroke. And then I'll be like, okay. Half, half, three quarters, Lincoln, go, let's go. Senior Luca Ueno is a coxswain for the Northwestern University crew team. Her boat crossed the finish line first at the Illinois Collegiate Rowing Invitational in Farmer City last weekend. I try to like bring out the raw power out of the rowers. Okay, I'm at four seat of View Chicago. I'm at the bow for Illinois. Let's pull away now. Legs through. Legs through. This is the first time the student run club team has won the state championship since the regatta's start in 2012. The gold typically goes to the University of Illinois, one of NU Crew's biggest rivals. What's your favorite call to make? I guess I don't make this during practice, but I guess the crush, crush their souls. Chicago, pull away now! Crush their souls now! Crush now! Crush now! Crush now! Five out of nine Northwestern boats won the regatta's marquee events. The crew garnered most of their points by winning the varsity men and women's eights and fours. Rowers in these boats each have one oar. A coxswain sits at the stern to steer the straightest course possible and motivate the boat to finish the race before its competitors. Open water with you, Chicago. Let's say bye-bye to them. Bye-bye. We showed up bye-bye. just at a little different caliber speed than the rest of the competition. This is 27-year-old Colin Darton's first year coaching NU crew. The Midwest native rode throughout high school and graduated the University of Michigan in 2017, where he rode for four years. He attributes last weekend's success to the team's growing commitment to attend practice and pull harder workouts than ever before. I think, you know, the difference in this year between, uh, you know, this year and past years before I got here has just been, um, you know, giving the team a more challenging, um, you know, set of workouts and giving them the opportunity to rise to the occasion right it's just a matter of you know you can only pull the workouts that you're being assigned and you know you can only do the work that you're being given and um, you know when this team was given the opportunity to work a little harder and you know get a little better results uh they rose to the to the challenge two strokes for andy and pickles that's one two on the front end senior sarah pickles is the president of northwestern crew she says Darton's workouts has the team rowing almost double the number of meters that it would row during practice when she was a freshman. 
this winter we really built our endurance a lot of steady state so a lot of one hour pieces um so and you'd be on the rowing machine the erg for an yes hour. you'd be on the the erg for an hour and every stroke right you're trying to go as hard as you can um, now is that something that you did in the past or not really not not for that long no um, I'd say the longest steady state I would do typically before this winter was like 30 minutes or f- 40 was long. And then this mm-hmm. winter we were having hour pieces and then on some Saturdays we're like an hour 20. Pickles won gold in the women's varsity four. Just an hour later, again in the eight. In past regattas, maybe one boat would do well um, at each race and... Right, that was exciting at the time. Like we're like, oh my god, this is great. But to all of a sudden have pretty much every single boat winning or right getting fourth or second, right, still placing really high, like, whoa. Through, through. It was Let's a really proud feeling of just everyone in that boat two. knowing that everyone gave it their all. We had um, a novice rower in in our boat, and I was just. So happy for her. Katerina, great job. That novice rower was five foot one Weinberg freshman Katerina Claude. I remember like hearing Luca just make all her calls like the most aggressive I've ever heard her, and it was actually amazing. I was like, okay, we gotta go, we gotta go. <laughs> being the shortest member of the women's team hasn't stopped her from being one of the fastest. Since joining last fall, Claude has competed in three regattas, and she's medaled at every single one of them. I think just showing up at practice, putting in the work, just trying to figure out technique and stuff once we got back out um, after winter. It was just a lot of, like, being able to wake up and show up to practice and definitely just, like, having a bunch of people around me to just, like, support me, correct me, you know, all those good things. The Northwestern crew team will compete in the Mid-America Collegiate Rowing Association Championships in Michigan on May 1st. Until then, you can find them training on the North Shore Channel in Skokie from 6 to 8 in the morning. Six days a week, rain or shine. For WNUR News, I'm Angelina Campanini. What is a fun Tuesday night event in Evanston where you can test your knowledge and get dinner with your friends? Answer... Trivia Night at Bob's Pizza. Reporter Catherine Odom put her trivia skills to the test this week. Tuesdays are the busiest night of the week at Bob's Pizza in downtown Evanston, said General Manager Mike Hayashi. That's because Tuesdays are trivia nights, where patrons compete for gift cards and free drinks. Every week we're packed. Uh, usually have to t- turn away uh, a few dozen people, unfortunately. But uh, it's, our, it's our busiest dining room night and uh, a lot of energy. As an avid Jeopardy fan and a former member of my high school's quiz bowl team, I wanted to see what the hype was all about. So I recruited a group of friends to go play some trivia. We heard tables go quickly, so around 5.30, my friend Evie and I showed up to secure our seats. When we first got there, it was next to empty. Classic rock was playing over the speakers, and a few groups were dining or sitting at the bar. Not long after we sat down, though, groups began to file in. So we're here at Bob's. It is about 6.15. People are starting to file in. We got here around 5.30. 
and it was pretty empty. Evie and I did some homework while we waited for trivia to start, and we discussed our team strategy for the night. What do you think your best subject is? I think um, traditional French cooking techniques, ancient Rome, Project Runway. Looking around the room, I saw plenty of other students working on laptops and reading books as they held down their tables. By 7 o'clock, the dining room was almost full, and Hayashi was turning people away at the door. Okay, so it's about 7 o'clock. It's an hour before trivia is starting, and things have definitely picked up in energy. The music is louder, less classic rock, and people are really filling in. I the soundtrack had switched from soft classic rock to loud 90s hip-hop, and every table seemed to be gearing up for the main event. Around 7.15, the third member of our team showed up. Julia, what do you think your biggest contribution to the team is going to be tonight? My science expertise. What's a boolean? As a true or false value. Our team was looking strong so far. Three more teammates showed up around 7.30. What are you going to contribute to the team? You know, I think I'm just a generalist on the team. I have a lot of random knowledge. I think I can really contribute with my sports knowledge. Hopefully good vibes. We ordered some pizza and did some practice questions before the round started. Which country produces the most coffee in the world? Brazil. Oh, yeah. It's Brazil. Finally, at 8 p.m., it was time to get started. We are playing bar trivia. It's totally tonight. That's trivia moderator Matt Bird. Bob's Trivia is run by Go For It Entertainment in Aurora, Illinois. They provide all the questions except for the music round, which Bird writes himself. The format of Bob's Trivia is six rounds of three questions and one toss-up, plus a round of ten Name That Tune questions. The first three questions in each round are traditional trivia questions, and teams choose a point value for each one. For instance, in the first round, the options for point values were one, two, and three points. The toss-ups are questions with numbers as the answers, like... How much money did the Spice Girls earn in 1998? Enough for them to make it into the Guinness Book of World Records. The answer was $49 million, and we were off by a lot. After each question, there's a song that is supposed to give a hint at the answer, like Miss You Much by Janet Jackson, which was a hint for a question with the answer, Mississippi. There's a 15-minute halftime, and the event runs for about two and a half hours. The main rule of the game is that no phones are allowed. Take your cell phones away, put them in your pocket or upside down on the table. Right before halftime was the song round. The host played clips of 10 songs that all had something in common. The theme this week was mononymous artists like Adele, Shakira, and Prince. By the end of halftime, we were losing steam, but we were still having fun. At this point, we were tied for 12th place out of about 35 teams with 59 points. There were three more rounds of questions followed by a final Jeopardy-style round where teams could wager between 0 and 40 points. This is the only question of the night where teams can lose points. Unfortunately, the final question was outside of our team's wheelhouse and age demographic. Category is video games. The question, in the original... Pac-Man arcade game. What item is worth 5,000 points if eaten by Pac-Man? We had no idea. Like a star, maybe? Oh, yeah, it could be like a star. Oh, it could be like a non-star. The answer was a key. We still finished strong, though, with 100 points, which landed us in 8th place. We got 8th place. Yeah. We got 8th place, and I was really happy about that. I talked to Bird on my way out. He said his favorite trivia question is which state is closest to Africa. 
The answer is Maine. From Bob's and Evanston, I'm Catherine Odom, WNUR News. Moving on to arts and entertainment, campus local editor Maria Jimena and Aragon and arts and entertainment editor Maria Camaño look into Rosalia's new album Motomami and give us their thoughts. Motomami, noun, a biker chick or, as singer Rosalia describes it, an energy. If you've never heard of the word motomami, don't worry, I hadn't either. But the word will definitely be making its mark, as it is the title of the third studio album of Spanish singer Rosalia. Released on March 18th, 2022 by Columbia Records, Motomami is a 16-track experimental pop and alt-reggaeton album. The album had its fair share of hype, since singer Rosalia had not released an album since 2018. In the U.S., Motomami debuted at number 33 on the Billboard Hot 100, with 17,000 album units sold in its first week. The album also was number one in the top Latin pop album chart and had the largest opening week for a Latin pop album in the year 2022. I sat down with WNUR News' campus local editor, who also happens to be my friend, Maria Jimena Aragón, to discuss our thoughts on the album and how we reacted to it. My expectations before the album came out were actually really bad. Like, I thought, I don't know, Rosalia, the way that she's going as an artist with a lot of auto-tune and different things like that, I was just not very excited for this album. And then specifically when she dropped um, Chicken Teriyaki, I was like, girl, ¿qué está pasando? What are we doing? Chicken Teriyaki um, lives in my nightmares. <laughs> and then I saw the like track lists and things like that. And I was like, oh, I'm not sure I'm too excited for this album. But, you know, you have to give it a chance. So uh, when it dropped, I actually listened it through and I was pleasantly surprised. There are some gems. There are also not so much gems, but I definitely enjoyed my time listening to it. And now there are some songs that I do play and I'll show my friends and they're like, like, what is this? Like super excited. Um, so yeah. She's doing something very experimental. Mm-hmm. So I think that a lot of people really like the songs where she kind of goes back to her roots, like with the flamenco, like Sakura and like- Delirio de Grandeza. That's my favorite. It 100% reminds me of like what I kind of fell in love with her music. So Delirio de Grandeza was like one of my faves. And then um, there was like other ones that she has. What's your least favorite song on the album? I say hentai. Te quiero ride como mi bike. Hazme un tape, modo spike. I don't know. Like it sounds very melodic and super nice and very like, oh, cool. But then like, you hear the lyrics and I'm just like, no quiero ride un bike. Like that's not, I don't like that. So I think that was my least favorite. Mm-hmm. So speaking of what are your favorite songs from the album? I got you. I wrote a list. Delirio Grandes oh. is number one for sure. La ambición, delirio de grandeza. Eso es mío, un ser martirizado. 
I like Saoko. Saoko is very, I don't know, exciting. Like people will kind of just like vibe to it. Saoko, papi, Saoko. Chica, ¿qué dices? And then, oh my god, my favorite Moto Mami. Like, okay, Pharrell is on this track, right? We know that his producer tag are those four beats in the beginning. But Moto Mami, you just like be standing here, just like doing homework. And you'll be like, Moto Mami, Moto Mami, Moto Mami, Moto Mami. Like, it is the best thing in the world. And I just, I don't know. It's been stuck in my head right now. I remember like texting you when I heard it for the first time, like through being like, oh my God, this is actually like not terrible. Yeah, because we were just teased. Okay, that's also another another conversation. She teased with like the weirdest lyrics and the songs that are like weren't the best on the album. And yeah. it got conversation happening, right? Like it got people to be like, uh, like got people because mm-hmm. people love to hate things, right? They love to hate songs. They love to hate artists. But then it gets you listening. And then you're like, wait a second, your impression was incorrect. So I don't know. I think I think it was very effective for Rosalia. But I would definitely love for her to go back to her, her roots, her flamenco roots, because I think that's what made her so different. Now it's like super auto-tune and like... She's tapping into different genres. You know that? You know what I mean? So I agree. I think that it was very smart of her because I remember listening to seeing the chicken teriyaki music video and being like, I hate this so much. I hate it so much, so much. I'm not listening to this album. And then I did because I wanted to see if all of them were bad. And then they weren't. So it was like, oh, okay, that's nice. Oh, I think another thing that I really enjoyed from this album was her collaboration with The Weeknd um to hear him sing in spanish and like do it pretty well i was pleasantly shocked i think it's something that we haven't heard from the weekend it really did help him as well to kind of tap into that that market and then also she collaborated with Okisha. I love her. I <laughs> love her. Yeah, I would love to see more collabs on her end because again with Pharrell producing Motomami, having the weekend and Tokisha on the album, I think mm-hmm. that there's she can really tap into that in future projects. Although the album has caused its fair share of controversy, since Rosalia is a Spanish artist placed in the Latin category despite not being Latina herself. Motomami has been a trailblazer in the development of new experimental sound for the reggaeton and Latin pop genre. This week, Rosalia announced that she will be going on the Motomami World Tour across Europe, North America, and Latin America from July to December of this year. Tickets will be going on sale today. For WNUR News, this was Maria Camaño. Tonight, we have a special presidential edition of State of the N Union. Reporter Margot Amuyal gives us a rundown of the election. On April 6th, On April 16th Weinberg Jr., Jason Hegelmeyer, and Suspi sophomore Donovan Cusick won the Associated Student Government presidential election with over 70% of the vote. Jason and Donovan ran against Weinberg Jr., David Groh, and Weinberg sophomore Camilla Vinson. Today, on State of the N Union, WNUR's news segment about ASG, we will provide an overview of how this election went down and what to expect for the future.
Medill sophomore Maya Pandey was one of two moderators of the ASG presidential debate on April 13th between contenders Jason and Donovan against David and Camilla. Maya says a few moments stuck out to her during the debate that she believes underline the key moments of this year's election. I think actually student groups and student activism played a big role in the debate. Both of the candidates were sort of on the same page about supporting student groups and being in touch with student activists, but I think the main difference there was that David Groh and Camilla Vicens, the Groh Vicens kept discussing how they would want to listen to student groups by like sending out some sort of survey and for like a lot of things like abolishing university police and NUCNC demands. They were talking about looking into making sure that the majority of students want that and sort of the 51 percent um, on that point, particularly uh, Jason Hegelmeyer, Donovan Cusick, the Hegelmeyer Cusick slate. Um, we're talking about how we don't need to send out a survey because students, particularly students of color, have already made it clear that they don't feel safe with university police on campus. So I think that was like one of the big tension points. Another thing that came up was Greek life. So there was talk of how much Greek life presence should there be in ASG because ASG abolished its Greek life seats. There's also a lot of discussion about how much power does ASG actually have and how much visibility it has as an organization and the feasibility of different slates' demands. Another important piece of the election? The violations. On April 10th, David and Camilla had their campaign suspended for 12 hours from Sunday to Monday due to violating ASG policy. The candidates started promoting themselves on Instagram under Gro's name during the pre-campaign period and then rebranded that page as a campaign account. No one is allowed to formally campaign or declare their candidacy during the pre-campaigning period, especially considering that slates are still collecting the signatures needed to officially get on the ballot during that time. This led them to incur their first strike. It's been a little bit of a journey. Um, and at least, I mean, the election was crazy last year. The slates kept dropping out. But as far as I've covered ASU, like I've never quite seen anything like this. And then the situation intensified. Within just a few days, the Grove Vincent slate racked up two more election violations. According to ASG policy, if a campaign has three strikes, they get disqualified from the election. One of those two strikes occurred due to a lack of respect, which both teams actually ended up getting. It started when Vincent's reported discrimination and harassment in social media posts against her identity to ASG. She then issued a report to the Office of Equity, saying them screenshots of social media posts that contained offensive references to her Latinx identity. The commission did not find these posts to be violations of election guidelines. However, they did end up issuing strikes for both parties due to a lack of mutual respect, largely triggered by general social media behavior. Election Commission Chair Joe Skately said, quote, It's disheartening to see all of this happening to the Daily Northwestern. The other strike was a case of defamation, which the Hegelmeyer Cusick campaign alleged against the Gros Vincent's campaign regarding the same social media identity post debacle. The election commission initially ruled that the same post was not defamation. However, they ended up reversing this choice after the Hegelmeyer Cusick campaign appealed this decision to the Rules Committee. However, the Gros Vincent's campaign successfully challenged one of the three strikes against them, allowing them to stay in the race. They successfully challenged the lack of mutual respect strike. Jason and Donovan, now elected, though, want to move past these violations. It, it happened. It was in the past. You know, I think we made, I made mistakes. And I feel like it's just more important that we just, like, focus more on, like, the future. And, like, what's done is done. The election is over. Like, it's a clear contestant. I think people are tired of hearing about the election and the election commission and strikes and the two slates. I think it's just, it's probably just more important that we probably should just move on and just focus on, on like platform and policy, because that's what students really care about in the end, I think. But the impact of social media can still not be underscored. 
I think it's all to say that it's just become a bit of a social media election, which makes sense. And I think in some ways that's good. Like, I think the debate got traction on social media and that was exciting because we saw people engaging with a student government election. So that's really cool to see. But I think also like with candidates on social media, like sort of working on their own engagement, they're tweeting from their personal accounts, but now that's a campaign account. It's been really interesting to see how that falls under the purview of election policy. Jason says he wants to be more conscious of his social media presence moving forward. And just like now that we're elected, I'll probably take a step back from that and probably just focus more on the actual like ASG Twitter or just like actual stuff in ASG. I think now that, you know, I'm, you know, a representative of the students, I think it's more important that I'm more cognizant of what I say on the Internet. I probably should have been before that, but just, you know, Digital footprint is a thing, and I want to make sure that, like, everything that I say is, like, representative of something that I believe in that students, and I'm not, like, I wouldn't be, like, afraid to show students. Another consideration in the election was how political views would impact their standings if elected. Dave, for example, has participated in college Republicans. Roe was sort of like, I have these personal political affiliations, but they won't affect at all. Like, I'm in, I'm in college Republicans, but that's not what this campaign's about. And Hegelmar was like, I am in all these groups, like I'm in FMO, I'm in Alianza, um, I've protested on campus, like that is affecting how we're approaching this campaign. Because they do have like the first pillar they sort of rolled out and their first most public pillar was all about supporting students of marginalized identities. I was also curious how Jason and Donovan plan to reach out to students who did not vote. Only around 24% of the undergraduate student body cast a ballot. There was like a, a slight uptick in turnout compared to last year, but like still 24 is a pretty dismal number. We want to have that position where like a liaison or like an external affairs or like a, a, someone's job is just reaching out to student groups on campus. So like we're really going to be stressing like reaching out to student groups, not just on the campaign trail, but like throughout our entire like administration like, and continually getting feedback and checking in and like making sure that like we're advocating and having policies and platforms that like aligns with what they want. And at this time next year, what should students expect to have been accomplished? Jason and Donovan said they want to have expanded ASG's connection and communication to the student body through social media and attending club meetings, have uplifted marginalized voices, have provided PPE for students, have tracked the effectiveness of Greek life reforms, and articulated concerns to admin. All of this will be with the help of their cabinet, of course, which they are currently working on establishing. Ultimately, according to Maya, Jason, Donovan, and Megan, this election matters. These students who are elected will have the ear of administrators, like they meet with administrators regularly. And being able to talk to people at this campus that not many other students can means a lot. So when they say they're going to listen to students and listen to student groups, that sounds vague, but also like it could mean something if they're going to bring that stuff into their meetings with high level people at Northwestern. The fact that we will have an incoming president, Rebecca Blank, replacing President Morton Shapiro, that's going to be an enormous source of change. And I, I don't know what her style might be going into this, how she relates to how she will relate to the associated student government. And I know that a lot of the roles of the president and vice president will be meeting with the administration. That was Megan Leibowitz, a Medill senior and news director, reporter and anchor at Northwestern News Network. Megan was the second moderator of the debate. Jason and Donovan certainly felt this too. Ultimately, I want to improve the lives and experiences of the individuals in the community in which I'm a part of. And right now, that's Northwestern, the people who work here, the people that interact with campus and the university on a daily basis.
first needs to be for the students. So I guess that's what we're going to be continuing and like uplifting and prioritizing, I guess, the entire year. Reporting for WNUR News, I'm Margo Mewell. A look at the weather for tonight. There's a small craft advisory, so be careful of the strong winds. Tomorrow's weather is looking much better with sun and a high of 81. That's all for WNUR News at 6 p.m. For more news updates and reports, follow us on Twitter at WNUR News. You can listen to these and other stories of the day on our website, WNUR.news. That's WNUR.news. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Our producer today is Seeger Gray, and our reporters are Angelina Campanile, Maria Camagno, and Catherine Odom. From all of us here at WNUR News, I'm Pass Bum. Thanks for listening. Catch our next newscast on Monday, April 25th at 6 p.m. Now, back to scheduled programming.